Father God, we thank you for gathering us today uh, to offer our thanks and praise and uh, to receive the instructions from your word. And we thank you for choosing us as uh, recipients of your grace and that we may fully immerse in your mercy and love and uh, give thanks to you for uh, your mercy. And uh, um, Father, we have many uh, uh, unspoken requests, and but you know our hearts. Uh, nonetheless, uh, we come to you to the throne of grace and to utter our needs and to give thanks. And because uh, it is what you have commanded us to do is a demonstration of our faith. And uh, it's such a privilege that we have access to you. And uh, Father, we, uh, we are very thankful for you are with us. And uh, we like to offer many prayers and requests, supplications. And Father, we thank you for um, um, your presence in our life that we have access uh, to you. And it's not because our work, it's because uh, all things are based on your purpose. And uh, thank you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Lewis, uh, so much for getting us started well. Well, again, today we have the great privilege of looking into Paul's letter to the Philippians. And today I want to specifically focus on the fourth um, witness. It's really not the fourth in order. We looked at that last time at Paphroditus. But uh, Paul returns to his own witness in chapter uh, two and three, uh, especially chapter three and four, therefore. And uh, we'll look into that today, next time, Lord willing, and the following time, uh, all focused on Paul's witness, uh, what he has given up and what he has gained. Um, so I would say as a title today, it would be losing all but gaining Christ, losing all but gaining Christ. Now, you recall that uh, the greatest witness, the greatest testimony of all was Christ's own. And we spent much time looking at that, especially uh, what Christ uh, was thinking as he entered into humanity, as he gave up uh, his uh, rightful place in heaven's glory at the right hand of God the Father, rightly possessing everything that he had as the second person of the Trinity and giving up voluntarily some of that, not all of that, uh, as he was humbled and took upon himself human flesh. We're going to look at Paul's testimony in detail today, his witness, to see what he gave up, and we're going to see that just as Christ gave up seven 
things and gained seven uh, after his resurrection. Uh, Paul also gave up seven things and gained seven. So the sevens, the number seven, is very, very important to understanding the letter to the Philippians. It provides the whole structure of the letter, really. Uh, the most important verse of all, I guess, was uh, as far as the exhortation in this letter is concerned, is verse 5 of chapter 2 of Philippians. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. And uh, he goes on from there, of course, to talk about what Christ gave up as he entered into humanity. Of course, having that mind, having the mind, sharing the mind of Christ, the thinking of Christ, is at the heart of witness in general, testimony in general, when it comes to spiritual matters. And so the letter gives us these, these four different examples. First of all, Christ. Secondly, Paul. Thirdly, Timothy. And fourthly, Epaphroditus. Last time we looked at... Um, the witness of Epaphroditus there in chapter 2. And uh, I'm not going to spend much time on that now, but remember there was an important point that we made, and it was very important to Paul. In fact, it was at the very heart of his reasons for writing this letter at this time uh, to the church at Philippi. Uh, it's amazing how what might seem to us a small thing seemed large to Paul because of his great love and concern for the believers in Philippi. And uh, as a result, uh, he heard that uh, they were in great sorrow because they had sent Epaphroditus, apparently one of the leading members of the assembly there. By leading, I, I think uh, what I'm trying to indicate is simply that he was able to take this long trip to Rome, right? And there must have been a financial issue, and there would be other issues too. Travel in ancient times was very difficult. And uh, so Epaphroditus uh, was sent forth with the purpose. He was taking a gift, probably gold, uh, since that was the medium of the day for, for financial transactions. Uh, and also easy enough to hide in your clothing and so forth, if you uh, think of it that way, right? Um, there were robbers on the road and so forth. So Epaphroditus was sent forth with this gift for the benefit of Paul, who was in this uh, horrible place, this uh, Roman confinement, right? All of Paul's needs needed to be met externally, it seems. They gave him very little as a prisoner. Okay, so Epaphroditus had gone forward with the gift, but the issue was that the gift wasn't enough to meet Paul's needs. And so Epaphroditus took it upon himself in Rome to sacrifice his own health even, working apparently day and night. He worked himself to the bone uh, nearly to death, and this had gotten back to the Philippians that Epaphroditus had suffered so greatly, and clearly because they had not given enough, you see. 
And so there was guilt mixed with shame and so forth over all of that. And that their dear brother had suffered so much. But Paul writes the letter and tells them, yes, indeed, he did suffer unto death because of, uh, as verse 30 indicates there, because of your lack of service toward me. They had given, but just hadn't given enough. Um, but he's well now. The Lord has spared him. And even better, I'm going to send him back. He's sending him back with his letter. <clears throat> right. So when they read the letter, they have Epaphroditus right there. And oh, what a glorious blessing it is. Um, so that's what we looked at last time. There was great joy in the hearts of the Philippians as a result. And Paul writes about his great joy as a response to their great joy, hoped for joy, right? And uh, and and says very clearly that the sacrifices of the present time are nothing to compare, be compared, right? Uh, we sacrifice for the sake of the Lord, and the Lord provides blessings as a result in others. And then we are blessed through their joy, right? And uh, this is a reciprocal kind of thing. It's a wonderful thing to, to read here about that. That brings us uh, to where I want us to be today, which is opening up chapter 3. Uh, so we're going to now consider Paul's witness. By the way, I say witness in the sense, as I've already mentioned, that it's a witness of the mind of Christ. That's what the witness is, right? and how the mind of Christ has been received by these other individuals, right? And what a difference, what a transforming difference that has made in their lives. So Paul's witness now we will look at in a fourfold way. The fourth fold, I guess we have to save till next time, I'm sorry to say. But um, the first is rejoicing in Christ Jesus, I mean, my, if you have the mind of Christ, you will rejoice, right? There's no question about that. That will flow forth from your innermost being. And that has been a major theme already in this letter, right? Um, Paul calls it in chapter one, the supply of the spirit of Jesus Christ, right? The second point will be Paul's witness willingly losing everything, Everything that he considered dear to his life, he willingly gave up for the sake of Christ and his service. The third aspect of Paul's witness is that nothing, and this is his witness, that nothing may be compared to gaining Christ. And that's going to end up being our major focus also next time and the following, as I see it uh, developing now. Nothing may be compared to, as Paul puts it, gaining Christ. And I need to spend considerable time with you on that, what that means. And then the fourth part that we won't have time for today, the glory of it all. <laughs> this great sacrifice was to be met with glory, glory, glory. Not only in heaven. Not only in the rapture, meeting Christ in the air, but even now, even now, as the glory of Christ is displayed in 
we uh, who have uh, entered into this life that Paul is uh, emphasizing here that he's that he's witnessing that he's giving an example of okay so first of all Paul's witness rejoicing in Christ Jesus and Patty's going to read for us there in Paul's uh, letter to the Philippians and in chapter 3 verses 1 through 4 finally my brethren rejoice in the Lord to write the same things to you to me indeed is not grievous but for you it is safe beware of dogs beware of evil workers Beware of the concision, for we are the circumcision which worship God in the Spirit and rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh, though I might also have confidence in the flesh. If any other man thinketh that he hath whereof he might trust in the flesh, I more. Oh, what a what a blessing that is. <laughs> A wonderful, really, uh, uh, introduction to this chapter. And uh, I hope those words are written on our hearts because they really should be, right? Um, he says, finally, in the King James Version here, finally, my brother. Uh, what he means is, I mean, the word the, literally means for the rest, or considering the rest of the story, as it were, in other words, or, or to, to complete the current thought. So what has Paul been laying a foundation for here in these first two chapters? It is rejoicing, right, in the hearts of each believer. And how it is that God has ordained our lives so that we might rejoice in him. Right. But to rejoice in him requires something. Requires that we know what he has accomplished for us and that we enter into the experience of it. Right. In the living of it. This is a newness of life. We have opportunity to live. Um, the sin nature still dwells within us. You can turn off, go into the world. Right. What a sad, sad thing that would be. But. We we all are tempted, and we do it from time to time, inevitably, uh, in this life, but only for a time. And what a blessing it is to come back and to enjoy the Lord again, right? That's why I like to emphasize for myself and for you that we should enjoy the Lord. That's what rejoicing in the Lord is all about, enjoying him and his work in and through us and his good hand that rests upon us okay so that's what uh, finally means here finally my brethren so in other words don't forget this this is getting to the real heart of the matter uh, he, he issues three bewares in verse two <laughs> beware of dogs beware of evil workers beware of the concision what are the challenges going to be then what is it that might steal away your joy. Let's say you are enjoying the Lord and rejoicing in the glories of his grace, right? It's a beautiful day in your heart. <laughs> okay. What are the challenges likely to be? Where will they come from, right? Well, here he gives three. Uh, beware is beware of dogs. Beware of evil workers. Beware of the concision. 
Now, I don't think uh, Paul was a hater of a certain kind of animal, uh, a, a canis kind of animal, a dog. Uh, no, I think he probably loved dogs. Uh, well, I mean, at least he may have. Um, many of us do, right? Uh, don't have any dogs anymore, but we sure did for a long time. In fact, in my lifetime, I owned four dogs. <laughs> Some were rather significant challenges. <laughs> One needed to be sent away, banished. He needed to be banished, not because we didn't love him enough, but because if we hadn't banished him, he would have been poisoned. He was already poisoned, but survived. Well, he had a barking issue. and you know, If you have a dog like that, uh, you really have to be home. You can't be off working, <laughs> which I was. Okay, um, but he doesn't mean physical animals here. He's talking about, I think about um, Gentiles who want to interfere with the work of God. Remember the Jews called them dogs, right? Uh, <clears throat> problem is, uh, there are dogs without and dogs within, <laughs> and uh, it's, a it's a kind of rebellion that... Uh, has no foundations in the word of God at all. And he mentions evil workers, right? Well, there are plenty of those about working evil all around us. It's very visible. Everyone uh, hearing my voice knows full well what I'm talking about. Then he says, beware of the concision. The concision. Um, <laughs> he mentions circumcision in the next verse. The concision, it means the mutilation. It means the perversion of that which is godly, the perversion of it. In a religious sense, no doubt, right? There are many who pervert the truth of God religiously and then foster that. They, they, they command us really to submit to their <laughs> principles, right? And uh, it's all a carnal matter indeed. Uh, world religions that are just exactly of that sort. I don't need to mention the names of them, right? He says, beware of the concision, for we are the circumcision. We are the circumcision, which worship God in the spirit and rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh. There's hardly a verse anywhere that just in so few words uh, makes such a great statement about what our lives are like today as believers, at least what our privileged lives are like. Now, we may turn aside from all of this, right? Live in the world of the flesh, live in the world uh, as a whole, the cosmos, the world system, which is uh, attacking us on every side, right? Uh, get caught up into this or that. But he says, we're the true circumcision the whole meaning of the word circumcision and of its original uh, establishment in Moses' law, even before, you know, Moses' law, hundreds of 400 years before with Abraham, right? It was a cutting off of the flesh. It was a sign that one had committed oneself to God. That's what true circumcision signifies, the cutting off the ban banishment of the abandonment of the flesh. That's what he says here, which worship God in the spirit 
rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh. Okay? Um, <clears throat> a great statement indeed. Um, <laughs> uh, is this a good thing for the Philippians to hear? Well, he says in verse 1, it shouldn't be a big and hard issue for you to hear the words rejoice. He says in verse 1, it's not a grievous, a burdensome thing for you to hear this, but it's something that will really firm you up and establish your life, right? And that's what the word safe in verse 1 means. A Greek word, by the way, is asphaltes. We get our English word asphalt from it. If you have a driveway like we do, you might really like to have it paved with asphalt. Uh, we were just talking about it yesterday when we were walking on it. I'd like to have it paved with asphalt and then uh, and some nice heating coils underneath it to prevent the snow and ice from building up there. So asphalt's a wonderful thing to have if you can get it, afford it, whatever, right? Um, and he's saying here, your lives will really be firmed up if you properly learn to rejoice in the Lord. That's what verse 1 through 4 is all about. Okay, let's go on. Let's go on. Paul's now going to start to get down into the heart of the matter. Uh, next, we'll consider how he willingly lost everything that was important to him. He's looking back here. And uh, Sarah, Sarah, please read for us Philippians chapter 3, verses four through six. Though I might also have confidence in the flesh, if any other man thinketh that he hath whereof, he might trust in the flesh, I more. Circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, as touching the law, a Pharisee. Concerning zeal, persecuting the church, touching the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. Thank you, Sarah. I may be wrong about this, but I have this faint remembrance that you had to give a presentation um, in the uh, the joint meeting of the homeschoolers, and I may be wrong about this, but I kind of remember you speaking with them about all of this that Paul writes of here. Anyway, whether that is a true remembrance or not, uh, it's a wonderful thing, if we do it correctly, as Paul is doing it here, to think back on what we have been delivered from. What Paul is doing here is, is actually remarkable. Okay, Now, you wouldn't understand it at all unless you knew who Paul was, right? See, unless we know uh, who some, someone was, we can't truly understand the magnitude of what that person may have given up for the sake of Christ, right? And I'm not talking here about what a person gives up when one comes to Christ in salvation. What you give up at that time is your sinful uh, history and, and reality, right? You're, you're, you're casting all of your sin upon him. He's paid the penalty for it all, right? I'm not talking about that now, and Paul wasn't either. He's talking about what he had in the flesh, okay? There's not a moral component here. 
This is not an issue of ethics at all. It's an issue of calling. Yeah, this was Paul's calling, right? His calling was remarkable. In fact, commentators generally agree, ancient commentators and modern, right? That Paul's fleshly accomplishments were greater than all. At the time, he was apparently the leading teacher in Israel, having, having uh, been taught in the school of Gamaliel, who was the greatest teacher before him. He was Gamaliel's student, and Gamaliel apparently had transferred his leadership over to Paul. Paul was a member of the Sanhedrin, and uh, that was a very significant place to be uh, in that nation. It couldn't, it couldn't have been more influential, really, in that respect, right? Um, and he had accomplished all of this at a young age. Not really young. You couldn't be a, a, a member of the Sanhedrin unless you were <laughs> some years, right? Okay, so Paul says here he had confidence in the flesh, and he still could. He could consider all those accomplishments to be his and to be accomplishments of great value, but he does not. He has cast them to the wind, as it were, right? Now, it's a somewhat dangerous thing sometimes to look back at one's history and to sort of dwell there, maybe a little longingly, at one one at what one had accomplished. But what Paul is doing here is going to immediately drop that subject and, and switch over to what he had through Christ once he had given up all of those things. Okay? So Paul's looking back, and it's a dramatic thing. He says he had confidence in the flesh. Okay? Uh, he had accomplished all of this. This man, Saul, had accomplished all of this. He wasn't Paul yet. He was Saul. Okay? Uh, and uh, what does he include here? A number of things. And we could easily spend too much time on this, and we probably uh, will. <laughs> oh, but... <clears throat> I want you to quickly see it. He says, circumcise the eighth day. <clears throat> well, Gentiles <clears throat> who were converted to the faith were circumcised necessarily, right? <laughs> As adults, okay? That was a for them a, a, a very blessed thing. But Saul was circumcised the eighth day day okay <laughs> that's what Moses required of the uh, sons of uh, Jewish parents okay and so he was he says more about that he says of the stock of Israel so his parents were descendants of Jacob right uh, of the stock of Israel okay this is a, a privilege indeed to be uh, uh, that in their heritage 
But that's not all. He goes on and he singles out the very tribe. There were other tribes. There were 10 tribes that, that were in rebellion. They constituted the northern kingdom. They went off and they did not any longer submit to Moses' law, right? When Solomon died, uh, the kingdom was divided, right? Only Benjamin and Judah remained uh, obedient in any sense at all to the law. Okay, so you and 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 had as their king Solomon's son, right? Uh, so of the tribe of Benjamin, but that's not all. He goes on. He says, "A Hebrew of the Hebrews." In other words, not just any kind of Hebrews, but Hebrew. But there were many sects, divisions, branches, whatever of this faith, right? But there were some who were honored above all. And uh, one of that group was called the Pharisees. And so he says as touching the law of Pharisee. Pharisees came in every variety. In the first century, some historians, uh, jo Josephus, for example, said there were <laughs> seven different kinds of Pharisees. And if I gave you the list now, you'd think, oh, wow, who would ever want to be one of those, right? Because their ego was right in the center of everything. Uh, there were seven or eight types of Pharisees, but Paul was in the group that he considered most honorable, right? So there was one group of Pharisees who had, they believed, the true love of the law, and they were willing to give everything over for the sake of obedience to it. And uh, he mentions that next here after, after saying something about how much zeal he had, right? The, the point is the zeal here. Uh, he's going to mention touching the righteousness, which is of the law, and he's going to say he was, he was blameless, not, not meaning he was uh, without sin. That wasn't the point of it. It said he had this zeal for the law, which was incredibly great. He was willing to sacrifice anything for it. And even, he says, persecuting the church. <laughs> so he would not only uh, want to single out and in some way punish uh, those within uh, Judea, right, or those in Jerusalem or wherever, right, uh, there lo locally, who claimed to be followers of the Messiah, but he would even pursue them outside the country. And, you know, that's how the Lord intersected with his life. He was on the road to Antioch. Okay, so this zealotry, <laughs> this zealousness uh, was carnal. That's the whole point of what Paul is saying. It was of the flesh, okay? And Paul was willing to give it all up for, in other words, to give up all of those excellencies. They were the, what was in, made his life what it was. They were uh, his defining characteristics. Um, give it, he was willing to give it all up for the sake of Christ. Now, you may find that list to be totally unrelated to where you are today. And I, I think that... Uh, we shouldn't consider it unrelated because if you've accomplished things in life by great sacrifice, right, and many, many have, um, it's easy to rest in those accomplishments 
in a way that cancels out the working of grace in our lives. And in other words, our service for the Lord in response to his great sacrifice may be minimized by our own really carnal convictions of heart, right? And the zeal that we have regarding them. And so Paul is saying, this is what he gave up. And uh, he is therefore being presented as our example. Um, there's a, a place in uh, Colossians. I'm just going to read one verse. Uh, it's in Colossians chapter 2. And uh, what it says there is concerning these things that we have given up, right? Um, he says, well, in verse 20, he says, why is the living? He says, if you're dead with Christ, why is the living in the world? Are you still subject to ordinances? Touch not, taste not, handle not. And the Pharisees were the ones that created uh, unlimited numbers of rules and regulations to somehow live up to you because they thought they could, right? Then <laughs> um, he says in verse 23, all these things involve a show of will worship, will. In other words, if one is worshiping one's own will and the strength and the power of it, then one is on the wrong path indeed, <clears throat> right? And he says here, there is no honor truly to that in Colossians 2, 23. Okay, so that's really what Paul is uh, conveying here in this section. Now, he goes on the third part here uh, to indicate how nothing may be compared to what he calls the gaining of Christ. Okay, uh, Philippians chapter 3, verse 7. Roy, Roy, can you read Philippians 3, 7 for us, please? But what things were gained from me, those accounted for us for Christ. Okay, thanks, Roy. Now, this this is actually a, a stronger statement than you might think. Uh, if you quickly read it, of course, it makes a lot of sense to give up a lot of things for the sake of Christ, uh, thinking that somehow, well, I've got to reorient my life. I'm no longer going to do these things. I'll do these things instead, right? And it will be now part of this group instead of that. I mean, Paul is not saying nearly that. He's saying more. He says, what things were gained to me, those I counted loss for Christ. Uh, and I think many believers do not comprehend this. They're still as worldly, maybe, in some ways as they ever were. OK, uh, they don't realize that the world is uh, the enemy. OK, uh, yes, we're still going to live in it. We have no choice there but to be of it. And yet, uh, you know, it's a common thing to talk about those that uh, are in the world six days of the week. And then on the seventh day, they uh, they go to church right? <laughs> uh, or or something of the sort, okay? Uh, or maybe it's more than just one day, maybe it's two days, but the rest of the time, it's something else that totally consumes them. Uh, and that's not really what Paul is saying. He's some, saying something far 
deeper and more profound than that. He's saying what things were gained to me, those I counted loss for Christ. Okay, so Paul is going to, and we're going to look at it next time, to this word gain and uh, what was gain to him. Uh, he says that, uh, that I may gain Christ. That's a way to characterize his life as it came to be, right? Once he had given up all those other things he has mentioned there. Now, the point of it all is that Christ's own sacrifice is so great in compared to ours. And this is true of every human being. It makes no difference what you've accomplished in this life. Christ's sacrifice for you is so much greater than anything you possibly could ever sacrifice for him. There's no comparison, right? And that's why Paul earlier has given this sevenfold list. Christ made himself of no reputation. He took the form of a servant. He was made in the likeness of men. He was found in fashion as a man. He humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross, right? So uh, in comparison to all of that, what have we accomplished that's important? What? I mean, you, you can make a list of what it is in your life that's most important, right? And compare to what Christ sacrificed. So are we willing to see gain in those things? Or are we willing to cast those things aside as being contrary to gain, spiritually speaking? Okay, that's the point of what he is writing here. And I, I want us to uh, remember this. Uh, some of you have received a track from me that I like to give out. The title of the track, the name of it is Cripple Tom. Cripple Tom. And it's about a, a poor boy in London. It's a true story. And uh, he gave up everything that he had. He didn't have much. He was a poor crippled boy near death, but he did give up what would have sustained his life in that case for the sake of Christ and his great work. And that's what the Cripple Tom track is all about. Uh, and uh, I'd like us to read, and I, I've asked Linda to read this because these words I think are so powerful, and it's a place I'd like to leave us today uh, with this thought. So in Second Corinthians chapter Five verses twelve through fifteen, Linda. If you'd read that for us, please. For we commend not ourselves again unto you, but give you occasion to glory on our behalf, that ye may have somewhat to answer them which glory in appearance and not in heart. For whether we be beside ourselves, it is to God, or whether we be sober, it is for your cause. For the love of Christ constraineth us, because we thus live should henceforth live unto themselves but unto him which died for them and rose again 
Thank you, Linda. Would you please read again, because you dropped out there, verses 14 and 15, please. For the love of Christ constraineth us, because we thus judge that if one died for all, then we're all dead, and that he died for all, that, we, that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. Thank you, Linda. Oh, wow. <clears throat> in another place, Paul, uh, in fact, it's in the same letter, he wrote about the, the believers, and he said they, they gave not only of themselves what they had for the sake of the ministry, but he said, first of all, they gave themselves. Not only what they had, first of all, they gave themselves. And that's the difference that uh, we're supposed to consider here today. What about us? Is the love of Christ constraining us? Uh, the sacrifices we make will be defined ultimately at the judgment seat of Christ by whether they were given with the proper motive, right? Whether they were given as a response to the love of Christ and its constraining power. So praise the Lord for these examples, these testimonies. Paul's testimony here is a great one for us. And I, I think that we undervalue the power of a witness, of a testimony. In a court of law, it's never undervalued. In fact, it's at the essence of the law, right? The witness of another, right? So are we taking to heart these witnesses and are they transforming us, right? That's the question. And I pray and hope that, that we are and we will continue to because that's really uh, where the power for a transformed life comes from, taking to heart but the witnesses have communicated of what God is doing today under grace. Well, are there any comments or any questions? If so, it's the time for that. I'd, I'd like to share a, a story about a man who was a witness to me. Yes, uh, before, I, before I was saved, I worked uh, with a, a man who was my boss and uh we, I worked with him for several years, and uh, I knew he was different. He never said anything in the workplace uh, about the Lord. But his life that he lived was such a testimony that when the time came that the Holy Spirit drew me, I knew who to call. Mm. And I called that man, and he and his wife very quickly... <laughs> Moved in for the kill. <laughs> <laughs> but he it always struck me that he, he never he, he never let on in any way, uh, like I say, that his personal beliefs. But it was his life that was the testimony because mm -hmm. he was different than everybody else. Mm -hmm. And you could see that, that there was a difference. You just didn't know what was the source of it. 
Right. I didn't. I, I just knew that he was a, a godly man. I knew that. And I knew if any, when the time came, I knew that if anybody could tell me how to hmm. get saved, hmm. it would be him. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And of course, I was right. <laughs> uh, we can we can see that. <laughs> yes, indeed. Amen. But I just, you know, everybody thinks that you have to uh, speak boldly and loudly. And that's not necessarily true. Uh in the workplace, it just would have meant that he probably would have lost his job. Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh, but but by allowing his his life itself to be the testimony, it it spoke very loudly to me. I have, uh, <clears throat> yeah, I could give testimony in the same way, but but well, not quite the same, rather different, but uh, complementary. <laughs> um, in business, uh, I sometimes had people that would say things. Behind my back, in this case, it was literally behind my back. But he said, "Well, oh, Jim, we know you're a, we know you're a Christian." In other words, that for that person was the most derogatory possible thing he could ever say. <laughs> well, I wasn't witnessing and testifying to, to those who worked for me there in that company, right? <laughs> but this guy had come in from the outside. He was trying to take <laughs> over. He wanted my job. <laughs> That's what he was up to, and he considered me to be just the worst. <laughs> Uh, right, the most despicable person, and I'm quite sure he was telling everybody he knew the same thing about me. You know, <laughs> uh, that's the other side of the coin. Right? <laughs> the ones who are not being drawn, right, will think other things of those who live for Christ than those who are being drawn. Okay, anything else before we close in prayer today? Uh, hi Jim, I, I want to share something with you. It just uh, sure. so recently, maybe within the past few weeks, I had the opportunity to actually talk to uh, a couple person, and I just share with them the um, the profound learning you will get by studying what? studying the word uh, mm-hmm. in the in Greek. Mm-hmm. Then it just, you know, came to me that when you were talking about dogs, I know it sounds a little <laughs> funny. Uh, then I look at the uh, uh, verses two, uh, Philippians three, verse two, and you talk about the be- beware of dogs, beware of evil workers, and beware mm-hmm. of the concision, right? Mm-hmm. So if we don't study the original Greek, we just really miss a lot of teaching there because you look at the concision, the um is essentially lay out the uh the work going to the next verse without talking about the uh, circumcision essentially they are from the very similar greek word you know like concision is a kata tome then circumcision is a peritome right mm-hmm. and so the concession, uh, katatome, in a way, in this case, is sort of the cutoff, in the manner of cutoff, is more superficial way. So is uh, referring to those people who just physically, ceremonially been circumcised, mm-hmm. but spiritually they are totally just uncircumcised. And if you don't study the original Greek, it's really hard to draw the connection between what concession means in this case. In addition, yeah. he even bundled out this word, concession, with the dogs 
the evil workers. <laughs> so it tells a lot. So in a way, even if you physically being circumcised, but spiritually you are not, you are no different from dogs and evil workers. This is from Paul's book. <laughs> then you look at from John's word in Revelation and talking about dogs, what did John say? He even categorized dogs with sorcerers, whoremongers, yeah. murderers, idolater. <laughs> it's yeah. mind-boggling, you know, how bad yeah. the dogs actually refer to in the Bible. <laughs> yeah. yeah, thank you, Lewis. That's great. <laughs> that is great. Very good. Okay, well, let's go to the Lord in prayer then. Father God, thank you again uh, for gathering us. Thank you for this word, which becomes more precious to us every time we open it. Uh, but Father, I do pray that you should soften our hearts, that that may be true, that that may be true, and that we might not uh, glory in ourselves, but in Christ Jesus and in all that he has accomplished in his giving up of so much for us to take upon himself our great sin. Father, thank you that uh, you accepted his sacrifice, that he's gloriously raised from the dead and seated at your right hand and waiting for that moment in sacred history when we shall be called up to meet him and later you in the air and then in heaven's glory. So, Father, thank you indeed. May this encourage us. May we be motivated by the love of Christ that truly constrains. And we would thank you in Christ's name. And amen. And amen.